we, we look at God's word this morning and look at the chapter in Ephesians. Um, I know that when we come to the preaching section, I know that's very often, and I've done it myself, where we go, all right, brilliant. I got to bed late last night. I was watching X Factor. I can catch you up on a few minutes sleep. But I want to encourage you to really stay in focus and, and think of preaching more as an event. Not that we come and watch some speaker come out of the pub and expound some stuff about the Bible, but that we seek as a community to hear what God has to say to us. So I want to encourage you to, to re-evaluate the way you view preaching this morning and see it more as an event where God can speak to us personally like he did last week and say some amazing things. So, if you have your Bibles with you, Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 22. Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 22. And the passage says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you were our Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him too, you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirits. Amen. Boom. 
Clive, come and bring us God's word, my brother. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, our Lord, how do we do justice to these magnificent words inspired by your Holy Spirit in under 30 minutes? How do we, Lord? How can we? So Lord, I pray not only for myself, but for each one of us, that this event, as Ross has described it, this encounter, might not just be words on a page, or words from a mouth, or words heard by ears, but a heart engagement with you, the living God. And we ask it that we might be transformed and that you might be glorified in and through our lives for the sake of Jesus. Amen. I'm really enjoying this series on Ephesians that we've called The Call. I hope you are. I hope it's helpful to you. Um, We looked in the very first week of this series at the fact that we were called higher We were called to the heavenly realms because we're seated in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus and that we are called to a whole range of spiritual blessings in Christ. Love and grace and peace and forgiveness and an inheritance and eternal life. Amazing blessings. So the week two we came to the fact that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul writing this from arrest in Rome, from prison there, he's trying to encourage these Ephesian Christians in Turkey as we know it now to recognize that they weren't only called higher to these blessings, they were called deeper. Deeper into a love of God, deeper into an understanding of God's person, deeper into an experience of His power and deeper into an understanding of the inheritance with all the Christians that own the name of Jesus Christ. And today, equally importantly, we're looking at the fact that we are called together, we're called to be one We're called to love each other. We're called to love God and called to recognize that we're a family. And in the New International Version, the translation that we use here as our main study Bible, in the NIV, it's uh, separated into two sections. It's not in the Greek. The first section of chapter 2, that we're made alive in Christ. We are made alive in Christ. And the second section, that we are made one in Christ. So we're made alive in Christ, but we're also made one in Christ. And there are a number, there are three aspects that I'd like us to consider here about this being called together. The first thing is, where are we called from? If we're called to something, well, where are we called from? And then secondly, how are we called? How do we get called together? And what's the purpose of that? What's the point of that? Where are we called from? How are we called? And what are we called for? And thirdly and finally, Are we called alone or are we called together? There's too much independence and too much individuality in our society as well as in our churches. It's about I, I, I or me, me, me and it's not often enough about we, we, we and us. So as we look at this, the first thing that I want us to look at is to, in addressing this question, where are we called from? And this is a really heavy start in a sense. The first thing we see is that we're called out of darkness and we're called out of death. Well, I'm pretty glad, uh, glad that we are called out of darkness and death, but I don't like the thought that we were in darkness and death, but that's the truth for me. For the first 32 years of my life, I was in darkness and I was in death. And linking with a movie in my thinking, I've come up with this expression, I was a dead man walking. I looked pretty alive, okay? 
I was playing sport, too much sport. It was like a god to me, in fact. I was pretty energetic in my career. I loved life and lived life to the full, but I looked alive, but actually I was a dead man walking. And if you want to know where the expression comes from, it's quite sad. Because it comes from a movie about a nun who is trying to get through to a guy that he might acknowledge the evil that he's done because he's on death row in an American prison, a penitentiary, because he's murdered someone. It's a true story. And he knew that the expression dead men walking was that when that person had had their last meal, whatever they wanted to eat, and if they wanted them, they met with the chaplain or the nun with the chaplain, they would go on a walk down a corridor past the cells of other condemned men who would say, dead man walking. Because they're going to the gas chamber, or they're going for the lethal injection, or they're going for the electric chair. And whatever you think about the death penalty, that's a fact and a reality in part of our world, dead men walking. You see, what they've done is they've lived the wrong way, and now they're walking the wrong way. The last thing they want to walk towards is the gas chamber, or the electric chair, or the lethal injection room, but they're a dead man walking because they're as good as dead, even as they take the walk, it's going to happen. Wow, how somber, how sad. Don't worry, there's good news and light stuff coming. There's no good news without the bad news, and there's no light without darkness. Light extinguishes darkness. And what this nun in the movie wanted this guy to do is acknowledge that he'd actually taken a life, and that he'd have peace with God. Listen to these first three verses that Rod, Ross, who's Rod? That Ross read for us so well. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, or in a little footnote in the NIV, the flesh, the sinful nature and the flesh. And following its desires and thoughts, just like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. He called us out of that darkness and out of that death into light and into life. He called us, our heavenly Father, to Jesus, the light of the world. The one who has dealt with death through his resurrection three days after he was crucified. So the word that we need to come to understand here is that when you're walking the wrong way, the only way to know God and to come out of darkness and death is to turn. That's a biblical word, repentance. To turn around and head God's way and go God's way and walk into His wonderful light and eternal life. Hallelujah. But we walk the wrong way because of this flesh that we carry around with us. Even those of us who are Christians. Anyone here absolutely sinless yet? Anyone here never put a foot wrong? Never have a wrong thought? Never say a wrong thing? Uh -uh, because of this flesh. Even the great Apostle Paul in Romans 7 says, Why do I do the very thing I don't want to do? Why don't I do the thing I want to do? I end up doing the thing I don't want to do. What is it? It's this flesh that I carry around. Who's going to rescue me from this body of flesh? Thanks be to God, he says, Jesus Christ is. So we go the wrong way and we need to repent at times. You know, the church has given up talking about sin and the consequence of sin. 
because the church is trying to make God someone different than who he's revealed himself to be in Scripture. Let me tell you that sin is a tiny little word which has a massive impact on our lives. And sometimes we treat sin like ice cream instead of a rattlesnake. We kind of like to lick it a little bit and look at it and enjoy it rather than a rattlesnake which we would avoid at all costs. And the consequences of sin is death, not just death, but eternal death. I I almost flinch from taking the word hell upon my lips, but the Bible talks about it, and whatever you make of it, at best, it's it's an eternity separated from God. So modern theologians want to do away with it. Now, we don't need the medieval pictures of Satan prodding someone with his pitchfork in hell. We don't want to make God out to be some cruel fiend. But some people taste hell in this life, like those people caught in the sex trade who've been trafficked. Like a parent who sees their baby boy washed up on a shore because they've fled the country that they're struggling in. They taste hell in this life. And some people in relationships just think, if, if the rest of eternity is like this relationship I'm in now, I don't want anything to do with that. But God has done everything he can to make sure that no one will perish and end up separated from him. Because the Bible says God desires that none should perish. But we ignore this doctrine that at best it's separation from God, at best, at our peril. God wants to avoid anyone being separated from him because he so loved this world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but would have eternal life. And we say God doesn't judge sin and grade sin. Not that he doesn't judge it, he doesn't grade it. He doesn't say that one's worse than the other. Well, he does. Because Jesus says it would be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for Cana that rejected him. He says some will be beaten with few blows and some will be beaten with many blows. And if you think that makes God cruel, what kind of a God would let Adolf Hitler off the hook when he takes his life? Are you with me? At best, whatever we think about this, my life is given and the life of this church and some of you have gone on the mission field is given to make sure people know there's light and there's eternal life in Jesus so that they can be called out of darkness and death. And we need to lighten up a bit. So there's a but here. And don't you love it when Paul puts a but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in there? Because you read the first three verses about this darkness and death and this evil spirit. It's Satan it's talking about in the world who's at work in people, keeping them in the darkness. But verse 4 he says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive, alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. His love and his grace has lifted us up even to the heavenly realms. Let me take this but word. Have any of you ever been in a situation where someone inadvertently says something that's a bit strange and a bit funny, and you just know you shouldn't laugh, but you can't help yourself. Have you ever been in that circumstance? Cast your mind back. Now, you know, actually, it would even be wrong. It would embarrass them. You would feel bad if you laughed. So you're trying with all your strength not to laugh. You're sinking your teeth into your bottom lip. You're stuffing a handkerchief into your mouth. You're doing, well, my second ever Baptist Union of Great Britain Council had the honor of representing... Um, 
churches and a region of churches and the Baptist Union of Great Britain Council and a very earnest Welshman, and I'm sorry for those of you who are still mourning last night's rugby outcome, if you're Welsh, but this, this good pastor, uh, this Welsh pastor stood up, he'd heard a presentation and he stood up and he wanted to make the point with as much gravity as he could. So he took the microphone, handed to him and he said this, he said, I have a butt. And a few people did what you're doing now, but it got worse when he said, I have a very big butt. And by now I'm biting into my lip. I covered my eyes. I assumed a posture that I hoped people would think was prayer. And that the slight rocking was my earnestness in prayer, not me trying to stifle the laughter that was welling up in me because he said he had a big butt. But this is a huge, enormous, gigantic but. You see, God finds a way. God loves. God lifts. God draws us together. The language in verses 4 to 5 is a language that speaks of His great love for us. That He is rich in mercy. That it's by grace that we are saved. It's wonderful language. Let me just try and give you a simple potted definition of grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Let me try and give you a potted definition of mercy. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And so God in His grace gives us what we don't deserve in His mercy. He takes upon Himself Don't let anyone make God, our Heavenly Father, out to be a cosmic child abuser. God is in Christ on that cross, taking the sin of the world, including mine, on Himself. Not beating up His Son. Are you with me? But loving, loving people through His Son and in His Son. God is in Christ on that cross. His love and His grace lifts us up and lifts us so high. We are lifted, verse 6, into the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. All of us lifted up into the heavenly realms. So it's His love that lifts us and His love that teaches us to love. You know, thinking about being called together, called out of darkness and death into this great light to love God and love each other. Listen to what Jesus says in John 13 and verse 35. And if you know the verse, join in with me. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you... Love one another. If you love one another, people are going to know that you belong to Jesus. So here's the question. Those people that we want to show that we love God to, we want to do that so that they will know that God loves them too because some people out there are heading for home and some people are heading for the worst place you can imagine. A separation from God, a not knowing of God that the Bible calls hell, Gehenna. Sheol, Hades, different words for it. And whatever the language, we want people to head home and so does God. Not head to that awful place. The second thing that we consider is that we are called by God's grace to do good works. We don't do the good works to get God's grace or it wouldn't be grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve and we can't earn. So Paul paints in verses 7 to 10 a beautiful picture of God's kindness and grace. Listen to verses 7 to 8 first of all. I'll read it for us. He does this in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his beautiful word coming. 
in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace that you've been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. Let me explain something. The Greek word for a gift is charis. Anyone in here called charis? Beautiful name. We get the the name charismata from it, gifts. And last week when God showed me that there was somebody on the balcony in deep anxiety, that was a charisma, it was a gift of God. I believe the Bible calls it a word of knowledge. I knew something I couldn't know. And as I spoke it, God begins releasing this lady. We've heard all about that today. It was his grace towards her, charis. Charisma is gift. I think I said that wrong earlier. Charisma is gift, plural, grace, gifts, charismata. But you see the link between the grace of God, charis, and the gift of God, charisma. See that link in the language there? Even the faith that you and I have in Jesus is the gift of God. This particular scientific atheist at the age of 32 couldn't have come to know God without the gift of his grace. So Paul paints this picture of grace and kindness, and the picture is Jesus. Kind Jesus, grace-filled Jesus, loving Jesus, gentle Jesus, merciful Jesus. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough. And he said, Philip, don't you know me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the picture of the Father. I'm the embodiment of who the Father is. Paul paints this picture of grace and kindness. But it doesn't stop there. Paul makes it clear that we're called by God's grace to do good works. God has a plan for us. He has a plan for, our master, for the masterpieces that he's created. Now, I've done this before in this church, but just take a look round again. And look at the masterpieces around you. Go on, stare someone in the face that's right next to you. You are looking at someone who in the eyes of God is as good as that beautiful fresco in the Sistine Chapel. They are as beautiful as Michelangelo's David. They're as wonderful as the Mona Lisa. They're a masterpiece. They're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And God has a plan or a purpose for their lives. Not by works will they get to heaven, so there's no boasting. It's just God's grace in them. Now, I'm going to turn to a psalm now, but I want to ask a question. You don't need to put a hand up or answer. How many of you don't believe God's press about you? How many of you don't think you're a masterpiece? How many of you actually think you're a little bit grubby and a little bit unworthy and a little bit, why would God bother with you? Psychologists say you might have a self-worth problem or a self-image problem. You've heard the language, yes? And some of you think, yeah, that's me, Clive. Listen to what God says about you. In the Psalm of David, Psalm 139, David says this about God's view of him. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame wasn't hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now, this is a profound mystery. There's a lot of discussion and talk to Ross about it. He's researched it at master's level about the openness of theology and the openness of God. You see, God gives us free will, doesn't he? 
So how can all the days ordained for us be written in his book before one of them came to be? Well, because God has this thing called foreknowledge. And in the mystery of God, in his foreknowledge, he understands even the choices we'll make, the good choices and the bad choices. The good works we'll do and the not so good things that we'll do. God in his foreknowledge understands these things according to Holy Scripture. But what we can say for a certainty is he has a plan for his masterpieces. He shapes us for service and he plans us to have a purpose. Every single one of us. And the third thing that I see back in Ephesians chapter 2 about this calling to be together is just that. We're called to be one with Christ and we're called to be one with each other. No individualistic Christianity. We're called to be the family of God. We're called to love each other. Jesus prayed for this in that beautiful high priestly prayer in John 17. And not just for the disciples with him, for all believers. Listen to this, verse 20 of John 17. Jesus, on the night of his arrest, prays, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you. May they also be in us, that the world may believe that you've sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Let me ask you a question. Is there a Christian you need to forgive today? Is there a brother or a sister in Christ who just rubs you up the wrong way? Is there anyone who you struggle to be in church with. You struggle even perhaps to be in the same room with. Well, the bad news is Jesus wants you to be one with them as you are one with him. Jesus prayed before his arrest on that night, before he went to that agonizing death on that cross, that those who would come to faith through the message of the apostles would be one just as Jesus and the Father are one. That is an indivisible unity. You've heard the expression, I know I've got to love them, but I don't have to like them. Heard that one? I'm sure there are some people that it's a bit like that. Let me tell you, the amazing thing is, as you start loving people, this amazing thing happens, the love of Christ changes your heart, you end up starting to like them. It's incredible. Paul captures this need for unity in the most delicate of areas between Gentiles and Jews. The Gentiles and Jews, the Gentiles who were far away but were brought near, we read in verse 17. The Gentiles who in verses 11 to 13 we will read were separate. They were excluded. They were foreigners. They were without hope and they were without God. Listen to the verses back in Ephesians 2 from verse 11. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. This is a group who are saying, no, to be a true Christian you've got to be circumcised. Paul accuses them of adding a little bit to the gospel. He could have accused them, forgive me, of taking a little bit off. But the fact is, if you don't get that joke, forget it, it's rude. Um, This is something done in the body by the hands of men. It's part of the Jewish covenant. The Jewish male would pray every day, thank you that you didn't make me a Gentile dog. They hated Gentiles. 
But Paul reminds them that these Gentiles at the time were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the Jews, and they were without promise, without hope, and without God in the world. But, here it is again, but now in Christ Jesus, you were once so far away of being brought near through the blood of Christ. Brought near by one sacrifice, through one Saviour, by one Heavenly Father, who together gives one Spirit to Jew and Gentile who put their faith in God. And listen to verses 12 to 18. This is powerful language here. Remember that at the time that you were separate and excluded, foreigners, without hope and without God, that now you've been brought near by Christ and through His blood. And verse 14, For He Himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. He didn't replace the Ten Commandments, which Becky taught us about so well. He fulfilled those commandments and said, you'll never have a relationship with me just by obeying them. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, making peace. Do you know, I'm glad that I'm in a church where we've been led in our worship by someone from Romania, where we, I've stood with an elder who is of a different ethnic background to me, where we are black, where we are white, where we are young, where we are old, where we are middle class and working class, where we are perhaps quite wealthy and not so wealthy, where we're all broken before a God who loves us all equally and calls us together. Aren't you? When I sat next to... My brother, Arnold, who's come to study at Plymouth University in the first service, my black brother. I want to tell you, and I'm grateful that even when I was an atheist, I never saw this. When I look at Arnold, I don't see the color of his skin. I just see the look in his eyes. Because we're made equal in Christ. When as a pastor, as a male pastor, I'm at a, at a gathering with a woman pastor. When I look at her, I see a fellow pastor. I don't see a woman. Now, I don't... I'm not trying to be stupid. Of course, I see a woman the same way I saw Arnold who's got black skin. But there's something that God does. God is in the business through His Son, Jesus, of having destroyed the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, trying to bring the whole world together as one. And I hope that we're up for that. If you were to read from Ephesians 4, 1 to 6, and I don't have time, please do it later you will see that seven times Paul tells these Ephesians about the oneness of God and about being one in the Spirit because there's one baptism and one Lord. Why do you think God uses the word through Paul, inspiring him seven times? Why do you think he does that? Someone tell me something about the number seven. It speaks of God's perfection. Thank you. It speaks of God's perfection. God wants us to be perfectly united. But I'm going to close because I need to close now. My time has gone with this last thought from the verses 19 to 22. Let me read them again. Listen to this if you're a Christian today. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household. Wow. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, in Jesus, 
The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. It gets even better than this, brothers and sisters. Listen. And in Him, in Jesus, you too are being built together. Together. To become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. I want to leave my notes and just speak to you freely. As you and I so come together in love and grace and mercy, loving God and loving each other, God wants to build something in our fellowship together, which is His dwelling. It's where He lives by His Spirit. So if we do that, and with our hearts it's our desire, you can expect His Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of, the Je- the Spirit of Jesus, to release more blessing, more love, more power, more healing, more transformation, more salvation than you would ever dare to imagine. Do you believe me? So here is my challenge as we move to the end. If God is calling us together, are we going to answer when He calls? When we hold up our phone when it's ringing and we look at who's calling, we've got an option. We either accept the call or we decline it. And when Heavenly Father is calling us to one together, I just want to ask, are we willing to respond? That means we're going to have to not only recognize that there will be people in our church family who will rub us up the wrong way, but that perhaps God put us near that person so that some of our rough bits can get rubbed off by their rough bits. You take two sheets of sandpaper and keep doing that, you'll end up with sandpaper with no sand on it anymore. The rough bits come off. And God has sent me to rub some rough bits off. Praise the Lord. Stand with me, will you? Ross and the band are going to come back in a minute. We're going to sing a final song. I want to suggest that if you like prayer today, here's a good one. Please pray for me that God will fill my heart with love for that person that I really have a hard time with. Might be a husband. Marilyn, if you're still here, please don't come forward for prayer. Might be a wife. Might be a mum, might be a dad, might be a brother or sister. Might be one of your elders and it might be one of your pastors. But if you just need extra grace to love someone that you know God loves but you struggle with, then just ask someone to pray with you. But for now, let's pray. Jesus, we've heard that you call us together. But we've heard, Lord Jesus Christ, that you've called us out of darkness and death into your glorious light and eternal life and that you've called us for a purpose. We've heard, Jesus, that you've called us by our Heavenly Father's grace to do good works which you've prepared in advance for us to do. Jesus, you call us your masterpieces that you are creating. And most of all, I guess, Heavenly Father, we've heard through your Spirit that you've called us to be one with your Son, Jesus, and with each other. So, Lord, please pour out into our lives now everything we need to be called together and to become a dwelling which you inhabit. We ask this in your name and for your glory. Amen.